listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Poetic, imaginative, colorful. Jen Huizhen is a composer, poet, and pianist whose music presents an imaginative, spiritual, and poetic space with subtlety and sophistication. She writes musical works that reflect an angle of contemporary art music that integrates time, sound, color, and poetry. She earned a PhD degree in music at the University of California, San Diego, and is currently living in Miami, Florida, continuing writing art music, serving as a new music pianist, and as a part-time lecturer. Awesome. So, well, Tenhui, good to see you. It's been yeah. it's been a while. It's it's been an even longer while since we've seen each other in person, but hopefully we can remedy that soon enough, you know, and see each other at like festivals again. Oh my god. It'd yeah. be so good to go to a festival. Anyway. It is too. Yeah, so we're going to talk about two of your pieces today. Um, and the first one I wanted to start off with is On to the Silent Peaks for Piano and Electronics. And mm-hmm. in your notes, you said that this work was influenced by a poem by Yang Mu uh, called The Propositions of Temporality. And I just, uh, I just want to read that very quickly, the English translation um, mm-hmm. of that poem. And then I'll, I'll ask you about it. So the poem is still in the days of my aging. I shall do so for you. Play the piano. See you to the ship bound for Byzantium with music close to fading. Silence here is beyond all summits. And that English translation was by uh, Wen Chi Li and Colin Bramwell. So why did that poem speak to you as the inspiration for this piece onto the silent peaks yeah actually it feels very intimate this feeling when the end of our life the end of our time and everything fade into silence and that is kind of silent has a lot of internal energy a lot of power and tension there that you are walking towards the peaks and wherever there's no sound, it's only yourself. And I think that was just a very tensive moment. And I was very inspired by this idea. And also the time gradually passed and everything eventually will fade. Mm-hmm. You, you also mentioned in your program notes that in this work, you were trying to awaken and hear those, those inner voices. Uh, what did you mean by that? Inside of physical or like outer silence, when we are surrounded by this kind of silence, actually sometimes we will not feel calm as we want it to be. Silence is not always like a breeze by the ocean or a breeze in the desert. It could be also like nothing much happened, like there's a lacuna in your time or somewhere inside you. And to me, it actually reflects a kind of emotional state of feeling unheard, unsettled, and isolated, and being just endlessly drifting. There's a moment I kept asking myself, what do I want when there seems to be a goal or there's no goal, that kind of drifting feeling. 
Yeah, yeah, that 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 drifting feeling and that isolation you talked about. Man, we've had we've had a lot of that this year. I mean, was this piece uh was this piece written in uh during quarantine or was it written before we all kind of went into lockdown? Actually, this piece took me almost a year and half to cook out. So it's actually, I have it, the draft finished and when I first performed before everything was locked down, but I finalized the scores and the electronics and everything during the quarantine. And I would say the progress is just not very easy. Sometimes it just takes forever to cook out a piece like that. Yeah, I I think I I heard this uh, piece for the first time on uh, you and your husband Jacob Sudol were doing these virtual concerts. Um, I think in maybe May or June or something like that, and um, it was you know <laughs> when you think about like this past year and go back to March uh, of of last year. And think like, oh man, you know, all of a sudden everything is shut down. Concerts don't exist anymore. Uh, what are we going to do? And then it seemed like uh, quickly a certain group of performers and composers kind of figured it out. And you, the two of you were some of the first people I saw to do, to do like a really, really great at-home concert. And, I, you know, you... Uh, you played a full concert of just piano and electronics works or, or just piano works. And, and I was really stunned when I heard this piece. I mean, it's incredibly beautiful and, and moving. And, um, I, I, I really appreciated during that time to be able to like, a see my friends, you know, making music again, but also like hear hear new things, you know? So, so yeah, I, I thought that, uh, you two putting on that concert series was was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, what was going on in your life uh, for the year before you kind of uh, while while you were writing this that that you were really focused in on that like silence and quietude and listening to those kind of like inner voices. Yeah, I remember. That kind of time, I was out doing a lot of part-time work and barely had enough time for myself just to be productive. So I feel that at that moment, my time was very sparse. And at the same time, I feel very isolated. And this is also rather personal, but I was no longer so young and I don't have too much successful career i don't make much money and you know i didn't have a lot of time to just be creative and even my family don't understand why i am doing what i'm doing so i feel that moment was already like drifting in the dark waves so therefore i don't really feel after those quarantine affects too much my compositional process that much and any compositional thought that takes time to sink down, just like a good wine need time to ferment to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to say if there's any like reflection on a certain period, but just like always like drifting in the wave and before and after all those time. 
Yeah, that's, yeah, kind of, uh, you know, taking stock of your life and kind of a reckoning with, you know, this is, you know, this is what I'm feeling right now. And yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, this piece, the, uh, the electronics in this piece, um, through the use of delays, it sounds like you're able to create a texture that is simultaneously the present, but also references the past. So when you're composing a work like this that uses extensive uh, delays, how do you need to adjust your thinking knowing that what I play now on the piano will return maybe in a matter of seconds or maybe in a matter of minutes? Like how do you, uh, you, you have to simultaneously be in the present and thinking about the past, but the past affects the present and the future. Yeah. For this piece, I actually plan out the interaction in the texture with those delays and the live performance. To me, it's also kind of similar to writing thematic counterpoint of canons, but in also different timbre. And the timing can be totally planned and be programmed of those delays. I basically compose them together as an like integrated whole thing instead of treating the delays as just a textural add-on. And when performing with those delays, they sometimes also function as a timing or like a rhythmic cue depending on the places. Wow, that's that's so interesting. So as you are kind of uh, composing what you're composing in the present, you know that, okay, this is going to come back and it's going to be a kind of, uh, you know, a cue for me or I'm going to interact with it. It's like, yeah, that, so that that so basically, I, I think what you're saying is is that this was incredibly structured. Um, the that as you're writing the present, you know, it will happen again in the future, and that yes. all those times are meticulously thought. That's incredible. I'm I'm so happy to know that. <laughs> yes, yeah. actually, you can program the timing, and if you're Music has meter and the tempo, and which I said 60, so it's basically the same, just like a meter. I can predict when the delay will come back, so I can write out how I'm going to interact with those delays. I mean, it, it really does, like, what is, do, do you remember, like, or, or can you kind of guess, like, how long is the longest delay in this? Uh, the longest, probably, like... Maybe 40-something seconds. 40 seconds. Okay, so yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, that's getting pr uh, projected into the future quite a bit. I mean, if you think about, yeah. you know, the, the time scale of a piece, um, you know, 40 seconds could be a world away a a in that time. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it seems like... Uh, through and you know through the use of delays of the live piano sound you're able to give yourself time to like get inside the piano to perform like the plucks and the harmonics of the piece so and by doing so there's always like there's always something going on 
and and a piano sound is happening. So like through the use of electronics, you're able to create a piano piece that that like no human pianist could actually like play all of those notes. Um, and you're able to like do that with electronics. So do you do you kind of view electronics as an extension of the instrument and and even of yourself? Yeah, first of all, I'm glad that my piece acoustically come out with such a perception of magic. And yes, I do certainly view electronics as an extension of the instrument and also of the acoustic world. But I never aim to make it sound like no human can play it. It consists of many layers and some of the sound materials are from inside the piano, but everything is from the piano and the code is the piano and electronic pieces. And if I am writing for just a solo piano without electronics, and I will probably have different textual approach to those choreography for acoustic performances. And this piece actually, throughout the work, I perform just on the piano keyboard, but Secretly, I put a sticky note, stick, sticky tag on the, one of the string when I play for most of the passage and until before the last passage, and I remove that. And so that one will give me more interaction of the timbre between the pre-recorded piano sound. And it will sound like it blends with all those inside stuff, but actually I was sitting with that one note already have the muted effect added on the piano string. Yeah, so that that kind of like uh, alleviates the need for one hand to always be inside. You kind of give yourself yes. some flexibility there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. really smart. Um, I actually discovered this was very, very useful when you are playing a piece that require quite a bit like a muted note. Uh-huh. And if you have the note that really need to mute, but you don't have enough time to move your hand there, and it does work. Yeah, I've had a couple other pianists like talk to me about sticky tech. We actually had a, a a guest pianist come in and do like half a recital at OU, and and you know our our piano technician is very protective as well he should be <laughs> of of the pianos, and you know he was coming and was like, is this okay? Can we can we use this and you know, we, we had to like, okay, what brand is it? How much of it is he going to use? Like all this, all this stuff to make sure like, it, you know, obviously it's not going to hurt the piano, but yeah, it's, it's really, really useful. Um, yeah, absolutely. It seems like, um, you are creating, uh, pitch collections using the harmonic series as a guide and it has a very rich sound to it. Is is that is that right, or are you is something else kind of dictating the pitch collection choices or the pitch choices? Yeah, actually, I do use quite a bit harmonic series. Well, I don't call them really pitch collections, but I was seeking for some desired sonorities, mm-hmm. and the only thing that I clearly planned out for the pitch was the me. There are a lot of me in the piece and the me from multiple harmonic series and has microtonal interval between each, which was prepared 
through a long passage of the mass and eventually presented in the last section. The Baccarat section was based on this, the plan out the multiple me. When you say me, are you, are you uh, talking in solfege? Yes, the solfege me. Okay, so, right. Okay, yeah. okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, let's listen to it now. So uh, this is obviously uh, you uh, performing this, um, and this is Onto the Silent Peaks for Piano and Electronics.
Hi, everyone. My name is Jamie Lee Sampson. I'm a co-owner of Adjective New Music LLC and a proud member of the Adjective Composers Collective. I hope that you're enjoying this week's episode of Lexical Tones. If you like what you hear, please feel free to check out the previous seasons of this podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Adjective New Music website, where we explore a diverse array of sound worlds being created by the musicians of the 21st century. We now return to this week's episode of Lexical Tones. Okay, so let's look at your second piece. This is Until After the Twilight, and uh, this was written in 2017, and this is for flute, accordion, cello, contrabass, and electronics. How did that instrumentation come about? Yep, initially this piece was commissioned by my flutist friend, uh, Zhou Shaowei, who is from Taiwan, but uh, she lives in Paris. And when she formed this ensemble with her friends, uh, mainly their flute, accordion, and cello, um, this piece was for their like you know debut concert, and they want to include the cellist husband, the contrabass, and also her husband, the electronics. So she asked me to use all those instruments mm-hmm. for their debut concert. And what's the name of the ensemble? That is an in French, basically, Van de Gré dans le Noir. Okay. Are they, I, I saw their website. They go, their website is like ensemble, like 20 degrees or something like that. Yes, 20 degrees in the black. It's like that. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you prepare to compose for the accordion? I mean, what did you learn about writing for it that maybe was a surprise? Yeah, that was the first time I wrote for accordion. Um, before I wrote it, I studied a book called The Techniques of Accordion Playing, and it's written by Bettina Bachmann. And this book is bilingual in English and German, and it's one of the books that belongs to that Baron Writer's like, Instrumental Techniques series, mm-hmm. that white book, white cover book. Yeah. And I think the book was very much just straightforward and clear. They even include like a basically like 100% sites, like a key locations. And you can just open that page and then they will show you which key has which note and how far they are. So for your reference, um, just not much surprise, even though that was just the first time because in the book was very clear and also maybe because I have learned a little bit about a pipe organ when I was doing my master's so I had okay. idea how those like a timbre like uh, the pipes can be combining how those like uh, for example eight inch four inch all those things can be combined together just as uh, become the keyboard and the keys but of course the uh, next time when I get a chance to write for an accordion again I'll probably be more daring in the timbre combination, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there are several ensembles out there that are including accordion, and it's 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 starting to you know I think um, I've definitely had a couple composers on the podcast that had written um, that had written for like accordion in a in an ensemble, and it, it's. Mm-hmm. You you think you know? Uh, I think for a lot of people, the accordion doesn't have necessarily a new music 
connotation to it, but it's starting to get that, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I really hope in the U.S. the accordion can become a thing because it's quite common in Europe,、mm-hmm. and I've been listening to quite a bit like new music ensemble and new music concert festivals in Europe, and it's not uncommon they have very very professional like new music accordion playing. But I guess it's also part of, part of their culture, is their instruments, and just I hope in the U.S. it can be more. Yeah, you know this this association kind of just came to me, but、um, I was thinking that with the accordion, obviously you can't do everything, every technique. But I imagine that、um, you know playing、uh, or or possibly even writing for an instrument like the、uh, the sheng before. It has kind of similar things you can do. It can be a harmonic instrument, can be a melodic instrument. You with the accordion, you can control the bellows to kind of make、uh, kind of almost tremolo effects, like you could do with the shung. Did that th- did that kind of color your perception of the instrument at all, or you just approached it like I have this, I have this book, I'm just going to learn about this instrument and and do kind of what it does. Yeah, you are right. Actually, it's very similar to shang, and the only difference is like it has, you know, certain quality. You can take down the high notes if you don't want that bright timbre. But for shang, you cannot. It's also very similar to like a melody and other harmonium, other things. Yeah. So they don't have certain kind of relate. It's not just a everything starting from the pitch black. Right.、Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. Can you talk about the meaning of、uh, the title、uh, until after the twilight? Like, what images do you see when you hear this piece? What feelings does this piece kind of elicit for you? Yeah, in my imagination, the twilight poetically reflects a universal and that image of an intangible distance. It's like always. In the far distance, you can see it. It's so weak, so feeble, but you cannot touch it. And it's also a space that collects all timeless longings and memories. And following this, I imagine the this kind of virtual mirror in the piece that reflects all those moments in my life and creates gradual like procedure from the vague. Pale twilight to my mind, and all this sound and the color seems very still and stretch out, but at the same time they keep drifting and changing. It's just like an illusion and reality. And I'll say it feels like to me a static and stretched moment. Where many fragmental memories fly by, but I myself still just in a long, endless drift, and sometimes feeling even frozen or very static. But everything is just like glimpses flying by. Hmm. You know, f- from hearing you describe that, and obviously hearing you describe, you know, the the inspirations、um, for the for the other piece、uh, of yours that we looked at, it really seems like, you know, you. I I I think that I I can only really speak for myself. You know, I'm a I'm a composer who 
I'm constantly looking outside of myself to get inspiration. You know, it's like, oh, well, this this idea in nature or this idea in technology or something like that. I think that's the, like I, I'm constantly looking out outwardly for musical inspiration. It seems like uh, at least for these two pieces and, and maybe maybe more for you, it seems like you're really looking inwardly and almost have a kind of impressionistic uh like uh, how, how do i say this um you're 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 relying on kind of like images and memories and impressions of things but nothing everything is kind of murky and like you said you've said drifting a couple times like is that does that kind of sum it up, maybe, or maybe not? Yeah, I think so. And to me, I search for or collecting inspirations, but a lot of time is like when we compose one piece and another piece, but everything is really from our internal mind, even can be for different materials, different instruments, or different ensemble. But to me, I... The thing is, I always think, what do I want and what is the word I want to speak? What do I want to speak in the piece? And maybe somehow the drifting is one of the really the feeling I have during the rest of multiple years. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what is the role of the electronics in this piece? I mean, everything blends so well together that it's almost sometimes difficult to tell what instrument is doing what sometimes and, and and what the electronics are even doing it's a part of the texture and has a lot of interaction with those instruments in gesture and timbre and this was also the you know, first time when i tried to combine a chamber ensemble more than one instrument with electronics um Practically, because I was not able to attend to the concert or rehearsal, but they're in Paris and I'm in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and it's expensive. Yeah, it um, is. <laughs> I made all those like a triggered sound files that consists of a lot of like a pre-recorded and or like you know, processed instrumental sound and a passage and with also certain kind of overlappable drones together so they can blend in. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean... With a piece like this that is so closely tied to instrumental timbre, uh, shades of instrumental color, like what was your process of composing? Like how did you go about working with these sounds? I mean, that that is always the like the biggest mystery for me. You are sculpting with sound, and yet you have nothing to touch, nothing to hear until you get the notes in front of the musicians. So like, what was your, what was your process uh, working with these like sh just shades of color? Yeah, it's also, it's a good question. I don't fully remember all the exact sure. details process, but I include quite a bit of approximate gesture and or materials for the electronics, like in the manuscript when I compose a piece. And for example, I want certain kind of like a drone crescendo to here and one certain kind of like a color that show up here to interact and then mark it. 
and then I will make the fixed media files in my Reaper. And because my music has meter and bar, so I can edit somehow just following, you know, those like drones according to the timeline. I plan how long here to have a, like a swell coming there. I have another like, you know, for example, some pizzicato sound. I have something going on there. Yeah. So become a certain kind of I compose all the cues, all the like, you know, swells, interactions there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what was you, you said you wrote this uh, for your friend who had the ensemble so what was the working relationship with the ensemble you you said that you know they were in Paris you were in the United States so how yeah. were you able to kind of work back and forth and and I mean I imagine it was kind of similar to like working right now you know everything has to be done on yes. zoom or or something like that so so what was that process like yeah all the communication between my friend and I, we can just message each other or like when we were working on the piece and then she include the group emails. I think it's very similar to what we are just all working right now, just, mm -hmm. you know, email communications. And and if my, between my friend and I, we can always chat online. We can always chat on the messenger. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that is a pretty good relation. And, you know, she went to play the ensemble and she won a piece and I have time and I'm happy to write a piece for her. <laughs> yeah. How does a piece like this kind of place, place itself in your list of works? I mean, is this, is this kind of emblematic in some ways of your other music? Is it an outlier? Are, are there threads of this, um, this piece that you find in other pieces like how how do you kind of position like this piece in all of your works yeah this piece carries certain poetic meanings and the symbolism of longings that connects through multiple of my other works for different instrumentation and i do have a few different kind of threads in my creative works and uh, sometimes it's from their poetic ideas, sometimes from the instrumentation, and for example, this piece, Until After the Twilight, in which I elaborate the image of twilight and experiment the stretched static time, and it's poetically related to my other work, like vocal work, Timelessly, and my earlier choral work, Twilight, as a drifting islet before and also after this piece I had another orchestral work in Eternal Dusk. Um, also even not directly in the title or program notes, throughout the structural plan there are also reflections of thoughts and image that connect to multiple my other pieces, maybe some glimpse of for example from the canyon, from the pines, from something just like when I am using any like a fragmental material or, or say different kind of variety of ideas, I know where they are from. So they are not just like an individual that can be all connect in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's listen to this. So this is Until After the Twilight for flute, accordion, cello, double bass, and electronics. And it's performed by Ensemble 20 Degrees. What was the last part of it? Dong Le Noir. 
There it is. In, okay. the, in the black. In the black. So twenty <laughs> ensemble 20 degrees in the black. Here we go. This is until after the twilight.
All right. So we've come to the last question that I always ask all the composers and artists that are on the podcast. And that is, how did you find music as the thing that you wanted to pursue for your life? Yeah. I don't necessarily know if I want to pursue music for my life, but I live with it. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I grew up being just very constrained. Nobody understood me or cared about what I think or how I feel that kind of time. So the only way I found to be able to express myself was through music. I can play on my piano or I can write something for my own piano and I start from that. And I've been living this way for many years, although way back I actually wanted to be literature major, but all mm. my teachers and my parents just told me, don't do that. Just oh. stay your music major. Literature doesn't get you anywhere. Oh. <laughs> and after a certain point, it just, you know, it's impossible to change like what else you want to pursue. You've been going for this long. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I will mention is um, when I first time in my high school, my teacher who graduated from UPenn, introduced me like music, new music, including like George Crumb and some others. And my immediate thought is, wow, really? I can do something crazy like that. I don't need to limit myself to do things like a Beethoven, Mozart. That's super cool. That is the things I am into. Yeah. That's awesome. That, so that, that happened in high school for you? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, I... I I've done enough of these and, and have heard enough of people's answer to this, you know, that there are definitely common threads. You know, a lot of people have had that one teacher that at some point, whether it was in high school or undergrad or maybe even earlier, that kind of opened their eyes to the the idea that, oh, you can do this and you can do anything with it so that's that's awesome yeah i think that is important and very crucial moment that you find out you can be totally free from all other things and that's like even i didn't say i want to do music throughout the rest of my life but there's something i can do that's really cool i'm doing it yeah well before we go can uh can you tell people where they can find more of your music online or even connect with you like on social media or something uh, yes, I do have a SoundCloud, and you can search my account, HMC Recluse. Cool. Well, Jenhui, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Rob, for getting me here. And it's wonderful to talk to you here and share everything. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. Thank you.